it's so difficult when you travel to a conference to decide what to speak. Those of you that travel would know that. And uh, I was trying to decide what to speak on today. And I've decided to speak on what I call my life message. And I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, it's from one of my books. And I've written 14 books, um, a number of booklets. The reason I've written 14 books is because I'm a reader. I read at least three books a week. And during COVID, I read five a week until I couldn't get any of it out anymore. So I've tailored back a bit. And, uh, but I like writing books because books give you someone's life. You can tell how they think, how they live, and you can encapsulate that. So books are very valuable. We need to read the Word. And, uh, but books are very valuable. And I want to speak from that book today. Tomorrow we will look at church growth. They've asked me to speak about church growth. I wanted to speak to you this morning on uh, how not to resent the success of others. But maybe you can get that from one of our staff meetings. And, uh, you know, it's so difficult to decide what to speak in the sessions we have. I think today's session will help you. Now, as I get started this morning, how many of you know, we've talked about the grace years. It's the theme of the conference. We're living under a dispensation where God has done so much. Now it's up to us to get going. Many people are waiting on God, but he's waiting on you. The person of Jesus, as you all know, guarantees salvation. How many of you can say amen? you know the person of Jesus, it guarantees salvation. But you've got to move on to the principles of Jesus, which guarantee success. And if you know the person of Jesus, but you don't know the principles, you'll go to heaven, but you'll go to heaven in a hard way. Because you'll struggle on the way, you'll be resentful on the way, frustrated on the way, but the principles of Jesus, which is the entire scriptures, if you can apply them and know them and use them, you'll move in the grace years and you'll see success. And too many of us know the person, pray and walk with God and fast and all the good stuff we do, but we need to know the principles and operate them. And those principles are for success. Success is not luck or chance. Successful people do what unsuccessful people don't do. And we need to understand something about that again today. As I begin this morning, many of you would have heard of uh, the Panama Canal, one of the great feats of engineering. In fact, one of the seven wonders of the world. And if you just think for a moment, every great feat or invention came about because someone found a way to win. They said, this can be done. The electric kettle, the toaster, the cell phone, even an Uber, someone thought of a different way to solve a problem. And as a result, these incredible feats took place. And the Panama Canal is one of them. The French started working on it, you know, joins the two oceans, the Pacific Ocean and the uh, Atlantic Ocean. And uh, the French started working on it, and they worked on it for a total of 19 years. They lost 22,000 men in the process. People died of malaria, accidents, explosions. It, if, you, if you actually look at the history of it, it's quite incredible the whole story of the Panama Canal. And so they gave up and they said this, it cannot be done because the two oceans are at different levels. But along came the Americans and they said, we think it can be done. And they found a way to win and they built locks, pools, if you like, ladies, where the ships went in, filled up with water, and they, they got them from one to the other until they eventually got them to the other ocean and got them out. And after five years, the Americans succeeded, and at the end of 34 years, the Panama Canal was opened, and they say since it's opened, over a million ships have sailed through the Panama Canal. And uh, it's quite an amazing thing. It saved lives. It's, a, it's an amazing feat, and it's all because someone found a way to win where someone else thought it couldn't be 
done. You know, many simply give up on their challenges because they're waiting for God or they've resigned themselves to the fact that it won't work. And I want to speak to you today and encourage you because I believe that we can find solutions to our challenges. There are problems that we're facing and God is saying, don't pray about them and don't talk to me about them. You're on the planet and I want you to find a way to win. And I coined a phrase years ago, find a way to win. And so the message today is entitled from my book, Finding a Way to Win. If our staff come to us with problems, we say so, find a way to win. Don't tell me the problem, find a way. But the people are complaining about the locked gates. We lock our gates 15 minutes after the service and you can't get onto the campus. And guess who complains? No, not only the late people, the older Christians. Not the unchurched. It's the established Christian who uses words that start with F. Not fun, friendship, or fellowship. <laughs> and our team come to me and they sometimes say, we didn't know what to do. This guy was freaking out outside. He was asking, what would Jesus do? I said, what did you tell him? Jesus would come on time. <laughs> and so we don't entertain Anyone who says they can't find a way to win, it's become part of our culture. I know at Calvary, they've embraced that from us as we've talked and I've shared this at Calvary. It's a spirit that you need to get on your life because you're living in the grace years. God's done everything for us and he says, now go and do it. I've gifted you, I've called you, find a way to win. You know, Thomas Edison said this, he said, and he patented over 2,000 inventions. He said this, the ideas are mostly of others who didn't develop them themselves. They gave up trying. He says, hey, you've started. I'll find a way to win. And then he gets the credit. And so what are you facing today? I want to ask you, what are your challenges? What are you living with? What are you looking at? Buildings, land, difficult people, lack of leaders, lack of money, lack of opportunity. What are you looking at? You can find a way to win because God is a God who wants us to win. The person of Jesus guarantees salvation, but the principles of Jesus guarantee success. And we need to apply them. Every problem has a solution. Listen, that it might be expensive, but it's a solution. We bought properties around us for up to 10 million each. People say, why do you do that? Because we found a way to win. There was no parking. There was no parking in the area. Land was too expensive. We built a parking garage. We found a way to win. Where there were two acres, there's now 640 cars parked there. Why? Because we found a way to win. God didn't come and say, we sat, thought, talked, prayed, looked, walked. And you've got to get that spirit on you. You'll have massive breakthroughs. Because again, you're under the grace years where it's been poured out. You just need to take it and run with it. I was uh, reading about some of the unusual solutions. Before I give you the points, we've got five things in the message today. Just so you know where I'm going. I'm not like the Lord without beginning or end. And I'm not beyond understanding. So five points will, co will come in a moment. But I wanted to say this. There was a, a hotel. They found that people were stealing the pictures off the wall. And believe it or not, people do this. They go to a hotel, take the picture of the wall, put it in their bag, and they couldn't track who it was. So they, they got together and had a whole discussion like we do in elders' meetings. We're going to put big bolts on it. We're going to put clamps on it. We're going to drill it right through and just let them try. And on and on they went until someone said, excuse me, all we need to do is we need to make every picture in our hotel rooms bigger than the biggest suitcase. They did that and not a single picture has been stolen. Because <laughs> you can find a way to win. Are you with me? 
And sometimes we stress over stuff, we pray over stuff, and the Lord says, just sit, think. I will give you divine ideas by the Holy Ghost. There's a taxi driver in London who drove around so much in the busy streets, couldn't stop and park, you know, just constantly on the go. And he accumulated rubbish every day in his car, cups and donuts, you know, from drive throughs And he didn't know what to do with it. And he came up with an idea. I know what I'll do. So he carries a, a, a gift wrapping, you know, paper, gift wrapping and a bow. He carries it in his car. And then he'll just stop on the side of the road. He quickly wrap it up, tie the bow, put it on the back seat. He says, by the end of the day, it's gone. So let's look at how to find a way to win today. Number one, number one, there's always a way to win with God. You see, the Bible says where there seems to be no way, God makes a way. Isn't that true? And often we settle for problems, and I'm speaking to leaders, but there could be people here who would benefit from this. We settle for problems and we call them the will of God. A bad marriage, a slow-growing church, a difficult elder, a lack of leaders, lack of money. Well, maybe God's consolidating. I don't know if they use that term here. When I was in the assemblies of God, if a church didn't grow, God's consolidating us. No, no, no. We need to look at it and say it's not the will of God. Because let me remind you, God allows certain things because He expects us to fix them. So, for instance, God allows poverty, but poverty is not His will. He expects us to solve the poverty problem, not pray about it. So we started a foundation, the Rivers Foundation, and we've got a fleet of vehicles. We, we feed 77,000 children per week in schools. We have 10 orphanages because we have dire poverty in our country, and we're not going to pray about it. We are going to do something. We're going to find a way to win. Can I just say this? You're very fortunate in your country to get money from the government like the Americans do. We get not a cent from government. Every bit of food we put in the mouths of children is a sacrificial giving of our people. And there was a time we couldn't do anything because our church was too small, but we were determined to find a way to win. You see, with God, there is always a way to win, and we mustn't accept things as His will. Psalm 107 and verse 4, notice this, winning is part of God's plan. Some wandered in desert wastelands, you're talking about Israel, finding no way to a city where they could settle. You see that phrase? They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. They weren't in a good place. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. I love this. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. From no way to a straight way, because God is a find a way to win God. And if we serve Him, we should have that spirit on us too. We as leaders, we can find solutions to very difficult problems. Even in a sin-soaked world where things are degraded and are going downhill, we're devolving. People say we are evolving. We're not. We're devolving. We were made a little lower than the angels, and we're going in the opposite direction. And people believe we started as monkeys, and we're going and becoming like God. It's the exact opposite. Even in a world like that, we can still find a way to win. And we can find a way to win because the cross has paid the price and as you guys are saying, we are in the grace years. John Maxwell in his book, Leadership, says, there's a lot of difference between what we can't do and what we won't do. What we won't will keep us from success a lot more than what we can't. And even when it comes to habits and sins and weaknesses, we can overcome a lot more than we think we can. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says this, 
the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Can I just pause there? One of the challenges we're having with sexuality in the world is people say, I'm different. The minute you take sexuality of any kind and take it outside the umbrella of God's laws, because God has sexual laws, they form an umbrella, and all of us come under it. I've been married for nearly 50 years. I can't just act on an impulse. I feel, you know, I've been feeling like this for weeks. No, there's an umbrella, and we all fit under it. But should someone believe that they are different, then they want an exclusive pass. He says, no, no, you can't have a pass. The temptations you're experiencing are no different from what others experience. I love this. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. I love what the King James says. The King James says, with the temptation, will also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Can you see God is a find a way to win God? And he wants us to trust him. In fact, this term here that he will make away is actually a military term. And uh, the commentators say this. It refers to an army hemmed in by mountains on either side and an enemy behind them. And as they are looking and they see no way out, they suddenly spot an opening between the trees and they duck through there and they escape. And you know, it seems like there's no way. If you keep looking to God, he's a makeaway God. He'll show us a way out even of our challenges and our difficulties. 2 Samuel 22, he trains my hands for battle, the psalmist, or David says, my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me. God is a God who makes a way. Isaiah again in verse 43, uh, chapter 43, sorry. Uh, sorry they, thus says the Lord who makes a way. You all know these verses so well. In the sea, a path in the mighty waters. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Even when it's impossible, if you trust him, he'll give you ideas and he'll make a way. You know, we've been alive a fair amount of time. And uh, you get to see a number of things in your life and experience a number of difficulties. And I don't want to talk about them all today. I've mentioned them in passing. But one of the most tragic things that happened to us that we never thought we could get past is our first grandson when he was three, drowned in a swimming pool. And I had to go and identify his body, prayed over him, quoted scripture over him. They eventually put him in a black bag and zipped it closed. You know, you know that feeling? Terrible thing. And, and I didn't think I could get uh, over it. But we've got past it. And I didn't think my son could get past it either. But he has gone on. Him and his wife believe God. And they've had two more children. A uh, little daughter is a miracle. Uh, Chloe and Aiden. And he is serving God and working in ministry. And he's not a broken person. I preached at Pastor Ben's church about how to get past what you'll never get over. Wow. See, World War II. Don't get over what the Jews were killed. No, we mustn't forget it. But we need to get past it. And God will give you this because he's a make-away God. Number two, here's an important principle. When we win, God wins. Too many of us are waiting for God to win so we can win. He says, no, no, I'm waiting for you to win because then I win. You see, here's a principle if you want to write this down. There's an important statement. You may have heard it before. God works in our works. When we do something, he gets glorified and he operates. Let me explain it to you. When Jesus gave them the five loaves and the two fish, 
He didn't put it on the ground and say, guys, stand back. Stretch your hands out. Come now, let's link our faith. That's not how it happened. As they gave it, what the heck is happening here? My word, just keep quiet, just keep going. As they worked, he worked. But some of you are waiting for him to multiply when you should be operating what you have. Because when we win, he wins. Am I making sense? I mentioned this previously, not thinking that I'd preach on this, but just stay with me and don't, don't, don't lose your attention span. When Goliath confronted the armies of Israel, there was a deadlock for 40 days and 40 nights. It's a hang of a long time. And do you notice as you read that text, nothing happened, they did nothing, but God did nothing. It took a little boy who said, I'm going to find a way to win. What can I do against this incredible giant? I'm going to think out the box. And he found five smooth stones. And he struck the giant down. The deadlock was broken, not because God stepped in, but because someone decided, I've got to find a way to win God. And when I win, God will win. And then he said to the giant, God will be glorified today, and I'm going to bring you down. And he stepped up and did it. And we need to step out and do things because God works in our works. You all know the story in 2 Kings chapter 7 where the lepers are at the city gate. Powerful story. And they're between a rock and a hard place. Starving, there's war, there's the enemy camp. They can't go into the city because they're lepers. And, uh, you know, we talk about falling apart. You have no idea about falling apart. When you're a leper, you fall apart. Is that your toe? Oh, just leave it. And they decide, if we go into the city, we die. If we go to the enemy camp, we die. But we've got to find a way to win because we're dying. And the Bible says that as they began to move, and imagine lepers, they're not walking, they're shuffling. It says this, in the dusk they began to move to the enemy camp. And then a few verses later it says, and in the dusk the enemy heard hoofbeats. Your shuffle, when you find a way to win, turns into a hoofbeat. But God needs some action from us. Then he acts with that action and he multiplies it. And some, many of us are waiting and waiting and waiting and life just goes by. I'll tell you how this principle has freed me. It's freed me to function and operate. And I'm not bound. Because some of us get so bound by the will of God. And here the scripture says that they move forward and they experience victory. You know, when David defeated Goliath, an interesting verse is recorded, and I want to read this to you in the book of 2 Samuel, uh, sorry, 1 Samuel, chapter 19 and verse 5. Jonathan is talking to his father, King Saul, and he, he makes a particular statement. I want you to notice this. He says, uh, if I can find my place, have you forgotten about the time he, that's David, risked his life to kill the Philistine giant, watch this, and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result. The Lord brought a victory, but it took David to act. And when we act, because we believe God is a find a way to win, when we win, he wins. And many of you are waiting for God. He says, I'm waiting for you. If you act, I'll be able to do a lot more in your life. And I'm, I need you. You're under the grace years. I've done everything I can. Operate the principles. Don't keep praying to me as the person. There's some things I'll do that are beyond you, but you need to act, especially as a leader, and make things better. I was reading about a woman who uh, 
had a son, Claudio Vieira de Oliveira. He's uh, uh, from Brazil, Montesanto in Brazil. And uh, he has what's called orthogryposis. When he was born, he was born with his head upside down. Shocking thing. And you know what the doctors told her? They said to her, if you just leave him here and walk away, go home, we will make sure that he's incinerated and you don't have to live with us. This is not fair on you. She said, I won't do it. I'm a believer. Life is valuable. God has given me this child. He expects me to find a way to look after him. She didn't say find a way to win, but literally said that. And she began to raise this child and train him and teach him. Let me tell you about this boy. He's, pretty, he's a man now, pretty amazing. He, he says you know, in his own autobiography, he says, I've learned to turn on the TV, pick up my cell phone, turn on the radio, use the internet, my computer. I do it all by myself. He's become a qualified accountant who types with a pen in his mouth, uses the telephone and a computer mouse with his lips, and he's now moved into the arena of motivational speaking. Listen this morning, don't tell me your life is upside down. Find a way to win. Because God is a find a way to win God, and when we win, God wins. Number three, is this helping anyone? I want to give you five simple keys at number three on how to find a way to win in any situation. I think it's on the screen. Simple keys to remember when finding a way. To, if you can apply this, you can apply it to marriage, you can apply it to business, you can apply it to church life, you can apply it to youth meetings. Uh, you can apply it in any area because the principles work, and they're from a passage of Scripture that all of you know so very well I'll unpack it. I'm not going to give you a revelation today, but I'm just going to point you in a certain direction. And we find these steps here in the book of Luke chapter 5 in the story of the paralytic man. Do you remember the paralytic man? And the Bible says here, in one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, Luke says, some men, we know from the other Gospels it's four, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. The English Standard Version says this, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went to the movies and had McDonald's. <laughs> you know, most of us would have got there and said, if it was God's will, there would have been a seat. They would have opened the door. You know, let's just go and have a burger. No, but we know from the story, it's quite powerful. It says that they could find no way. They went on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, heck, what are you doing? He said, no, man, your sins are forgiven. Jesus didn't look at the condition of the building and the protocols and the dust falling down and who's paying this mortgage. He saw find a way to win spirit and he said, I've got to meet this need. Now there are five things these men did that we need to embrace in every situation and I want you to write them down. I hope they will help you in some way. What did they have? They had a quality about them that we need to embrace today. Number one, they were determined to receive God's power. You've got to be determined to receive God's power. Some people come to church and they want a touch from God, but they amble in late and they sit at the back. Their arms folded, I dare you to bless me. You're not going to receive God's power. You've got to come, to, you've got to come early, come to the front. You, you, even, uh, forgive me here in the front. Lean in. I can tell then you want something. God can tell you want something. But that ambling in late, and what's he preaching on today? Oh, mm. If I'd known, I would have watched online. Yeah. 
Look, I'm talking to leaders and pastors. We need a spirit that says, God, we will not let you go like Jacob until you bless us. And these men may, were determined that, that, that Jesus was there. The power of God was there. They didn't care about the owner of the house. They didn't care about the circumstances. They're going to get their friend in. And we need to be persevering. You know, Christians give up too easily. Pastors give up too easily. You know, I don't know what it is when we want a loan for a building. We'll go to three banks. We go to the first one. Lord, we're trusting you. We sit before the bank manager. No, we can't give you that money. You don't have enough equity and, da, 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 and you've not been in that, that uh, city long enough and you don't have... Okay, go to another bank, Lord, in Jesus' name. Fast for three days and pray. Breakthrough in Jesus' name. Sit down. Bank manager says the same thing. Then we go to a third bank and we find an alternative and we fast and pray and we call the whole church to break strongholds. And that bank manager says no. And then suddenly I've discovered three strikes in your heart. Church, we went to three banks. God has closed the door. I read that Walt Disney, in building an entertainment amusement park, went to 303 banks. So you've got 300 to go. We respect Starbucks. I don't know if you drink it. I don't, I don't like it. It's too weak for me. But Starbucks is an international brand, powerful brand, good way of, the way it's run is awesome. And Howard Schultz, his story is amazing. In fact, if you, as a leader, you need to read his book, Pour Your Life Into It. It'll teach you some lessons about how to run a church. Pour your life into it. You know how many people he went to? 242 people before he got the capital to start Starbucks. 242. And we go to three, and the Lord has closed the door. Find a way to win and persevere. Number two, the second thing is they believed in God's ability to heal and solve big issues. I know we say we believe, but our actions will show whether we believe or not. We've got to press in like they did and have the faith. And uh, someone once said years ago, what is it you really believe? Not what is it you believe, what is it you really believe? Because you can say so much, but when the crunch comes, do you really believe it? We've got to really believe it. They really believed that that man could get better. Number three, they were motivated by their love for others. You know, when you have love for your congregation, you will find a way to win. We grew our church not because we wanted to be the largest church in our city or in our suburb or because we wanted to be like Hillsong or we wanted to be like some other brand. We decided to grow our church because we loved people and wanted to keep reaching them. And when they couldn't come to church, and they, we, we, I think we got a picture, we, we seated them in a tent. We had a tent off our building. This is our little building. We put this tent on. And so all the volunteers sat in there watching on the TV. We found a way to win because the building was full. You can't put new people in there. It's too hot. So the volunteers... We're up for it. We'll find a way to win. Put a TV there with a cable tape on the floor in those days. Why? We love the people. Not we're growing this thing. We're going to show the city who we are. Just watch us. Here we come. No, it's a different spirit. Those guys had no other motive than to see their friend healed and they loved him. God, embrace that as a leader if you're going to find a way to win. Don't just be a motivational speaker and a motivational leader. Love people. Number four. This is very important. They did not call the obstacles the will of God. We've got to get the will of God clear in our minds. If you're a young leader, I'm sure many of the older leaders fully understand this. But if you're a young leader here, be careful when you use the phrase the will of God. Because in the Bible, it is mostly moral, not directional. It's about behavior, not guidance. 
Very few references are, Paul says, you know, if it's the will of God, I'll come to you. Those references are few and far between. Most of them are about behavior. Give thanks for this is the will of God concerning you. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Is it 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, is it, or uh, 2 Thessalonians? Let the marriage be, bed be undefiled, for this is the will of God concerning you. See, behavior, not guidance. And some of us are walking around, my sheep hear my voice, I hear nothing. And we are frustrated, angry, and others. Don't you hate it when pastors get up? And I said to the Lord this morning, and he said to me, and so I said to him, and then he said to me. I'm not one of those people. God says, I've got these principles. I want you to step out. You know you're in the grace years. Get going. And they knew the will of God. God wanted to heal. And so they stepped up, and they did it. And number five here, under this point, is this helping anybody? Is they were not concerned about what others thought about them. They were not concerned what others thought of them. You've got to be sure that you don't live by the opinions of people. Don't let opinions rule you. They didn't care what anyone thought. They had love, they were passionate, they believed, and they were going to get their friend healed. And if you use those five things, you will solve business problems, marriage problems, church problems, any leadership problem, instead of taking it to God when he says, when you win, I win. You know, the church is so critical sometimes when we come up with ideas. How do you know that's the Lord? Have you prayed about it? If you've got elders like that, it's time to make changes. <laughs> I feel too at home. I've got to be careful what I say. You know, when you feel at home, you feel like you're in your own church. You can just, you're a guest, Andre. Just behave now. <laughs> but it's so easy to be intimidated. If I think of the stuff that intimidated me when I was younger, silly stuff. It took me years to realize, no, come up with ideas, have a go. God knows your heart. You, you're building this church because of the people. You care. You're seeking the Lord. You're not just living randomly. You're not just doing your own thing. You're not someone who doesn't know the word and doesn't have the spirit. Go for it. And I saw God just endorse us, endorse us. Then I was reading about a man, you, you may have heard of him, Sir James Young Simpson. Uh, he was a Scottish medical practitioner and he pioneered the use of chloroform. I don't know if any of you have heard of him. An amazing man. He pioneered the use of chloroform. And guess what the church did? The church were the first to come to him and say, Brother, you are, you are moving against the Genesis mandate. A woman should give birth in pain. He went to the Lord and he said, Lord, this is an incredible invention. This could help people. This could help the whole medical profession. Guide me. So he prayed. He said he opened the Bible in Genesis and he read, and the Lord caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. <laughs> and he opened his side and he took out a rib. And he went back and he said to them, take that. And the medical profession has not been the same since. They say at his funeral, it was packed with women who were highly appreciative of what he had discovered. Don't be put off by the opinions of people. If you apply those five principles, you can find a way to win. Is this helping anyone today? Now, this, this is good. Number, number four, the Spirit of God gives us ideas and strength to win. If we are open, the Spirit of God will give us ideas and the strength to overcome the challenges that we're facing. The Holy Spirit is the creative expression of God and is active in the earth. We just need to be open to Him. We need to pick up His breeze on our lives and step up because He gives us solutions and he gives us 
power. And if you're a leader, you need that. And can I say, God even gives it to us when we're less than perfect. We can get this notion that you've got to be perfect. You know, you've got to be perfect in the will of God. Not, a, not an unkind word to your wife. You know, not, no irritability. Not, where are the keys? Oh, killed the anointing. No, don't, don't go there. You've just got to believe and be open that God will drop in. He cares more about the church than you do. We've got a heart for the house, but he loves his church. And the Holy Spirit will give us. Now, what example can I give you? I want to give you the example of Samson. Samson was less than perfect. Called by God, but guess what happened? When he found himself in difficulty, God showed him ways to win and filled him with incredible strength. I read that and I don't get put off by it. I say, hey, amongst all that stuff, there's a solution for me. Can I read it to you? Judges chapter 15. And it says here that the men of Judah bound Samson. Let's pick it up in verse 13. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came towards him shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Now, I love this phrase. Finding, finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Incredible. And then later on it says that he threw it away. Can I remind you that when God gives you a solution to a challenge and it's creative, don't try and keep using it because you can't use old solutions for new problems. You never see David using stones again. Because sometimes God will give you a creative idea. Seek him for further creative ideas. Don't keep trying to just perpetuate it. And here Samson finds, listen, the fresh jawbone of an ass. You know why it was fresh? Made it flexible. If it was dried out, it would have shattered. And God says, hey, look there. And he's like, yes. If it was me, I'd be like, you don't deserve it. Die. You drunkard. I've called you. Look what you're doing. God says, no, there's grace. And I'm going to give him a find a way to win because he's seeking me. And here he gets this answer. He gets this solution. And he steps up. You know, God wants to give us solutions. He wants to give us strength. And he wants to show us opportunity. I spoke about that already, but the word opportunity is interesting. Some of you would have preached on this, I'm sure. It's the word in Latin, Latin apport. Apport. It means towards port. So what does that mean, towards port? Well, ships used to dock outside of the port in the old days because they were sailing ships. They had no power of their own. They had to wait for just the right moment to go into port. The, the wind mustn't be too strong. The tide mustn't be too high. It's got to be just right. And the captain would stand on the bridge and he would feel the breeze on his beard and on his ears. And then he would shut up. And they would pull up the anchors and the wind would catch them and they would go and dock. And we need to be like that with God. We need to wait on him, listen, expect the spirit to speak. And then when we get it, Bam, we go for it, and we act. Can you say amen? You know, I was uh, reading about a couple. They, uh, he was in the army, and a wonderful couple, just you know, ordinary people serving God, Nick and Liz Thomas, and uh, they ran into difficulties. He was uh, in the Air Force. Then he left the Air Force and wanted to go into business, became an accountant, didn't work out. Then he lost his job, went into sales, and eventually they were without money and the bills were piling up and they didn't know what to do. And he said to his wife, who was a church attender, she said, would you, would you go to church and pray? She said, I'll go to church and pray. 
So she went to church, and while they're singing, she hears, she hears this phrase in her head, make the mustard. She thinks, well, not only are we short of money, I'm losing my brain. <laughs> and further on, while the pastor's preaching, she hears again, make the mustard. She goes home and tells her husband, Nick, I'm in the meeting. We're worshiping. I'm listening to the preaching. Make the mustard. He says, of course, of course, of course. She says, what do you mean, of course? She says, that Russian recipe that your parents have handed down to the generations, you make it every Christmas and we put it on the meat. You need to make it. So they start putting together bottles of this mustard. They take it to the local deli. The deli says, this is incredible. And they buys a batch. Then he buys another batch. Then he buys another batch. Then he says to them, you know what? You need to take this to New York. So they take it to New York and they break into the deli market, which is literally controlled by the mafia. And the Chalif Mustard Company is formed. And they start making $5 million a year from having bills because they caught opportunity. They found a way to win and they recovered from their challenges. What's God got for all of us in our challenges and our next steps? We're in the grace years. Let's trust him to speak to us. Number five. Has this helped anybody? The time ticketh exceedingly quicker. Number five. No situation is ever hopeless or impossible. I know this sounds basic, but listen to me today. No situation is hopeless or impossible. Claire Booth, who was the first female ambassador abroad from the United States, she was also a playwright, she said this, she said, there are no hopeless situations, there are only men who have grown hopeless about them. So in other words, there's no such thing as a hopeless situation, it's only people who have got a feeling of hopelessness about it. The best way I can describe it to you is like this, how many of you remember the days of the Rubik's Cube? Now, maybe you were like me, let me, let me tell you here, I, I, I couldn't get it right. And I would say to myself, you're not a stupid man. You are of reasonable intelligence, and you can figure this thing out. And I would sit and sit, eventually, like, this is a factory default. This is a faulty, the factory fault. And you would put it down, and a 10-year-old would come, and put it down. And what would happen to you? Give me that. Because suddenly, the hopelessness went because you saw a way to win. And what we need to do is we need to keep seeing beyond the hopeless situation and not allow the feeling of hopelessness to come over us. We've got to say, I don't care how this feels. I'm going to look beyond because this thing can click together. There are no hopeless situations, only people who feel that way about them. You can, someone wants to clap. After last night, I'll take any clap I can get. <laughs> you know, we live in a country where it looks hopeless. We have four power outages a day. Frustrating. Traffic lights are off. People are in darkness. The streets are in darkness. Cost our church $5,000 every single weekend in diesel to run our generator so that we can have seamless services. Frustrating things. But we are not hopeless. We believe that if we let that feeling get into us, then we'll also want to immigrate or do something we shouldn't do because God's called us there. He says, I want you to live in South Africa, and you're not, it's not hopeless. Find a way to win because yeah. I'm depending on you, and when you win, I'll win. When your church is run excellently and when people can come into a safe environment and the power's on, they get hope for their businesses, they get hope for their homes, and you teach them a different level of living, don't let yourself go down there. 
And I've determined we're not going to do that despite the robberies and all the things that are going on in our country. We're not going to allow ourselves to become hopeless. We can still find a way to win. As I draw to a close today, I want to read to you a story, or in fact, a, 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 an excerpt from a document. It's the U.S. Peace Corps. You know, they're going to different countries, and they have an instruction manual for different countries. If you go into a place where there's a lot of sand, they'll teach you what to do in a sandstorm, and you know how to behave, because now you, you live in America, but now you're going to this place. You need to know how to protect yourself. And they wrote this manual, and this manual tells you how to survive an attack by an anaconda. And, um, they, you know, they say, it's a, they say an anaconda is a, is, a, is a telephone pole with a temper. It takes 10 men to carry it. So you say, well, what do I need? This thing, you just cannot win with normals, even if you're a soldier. And so they give you instructions here, which, which I want to read to you. There's 11 steps. And um, now this is, this is a genuine American manual. And it says here, if an anaconda attacks you, do not run. The snake is faster than you are, so don't even try to run it. What? Just find a way to win. Number two, instead of telling the soldier, lie flat on the ground and put your arms against your sides, your legs tight against each other. Let me do it. Can, can someone come and hold the mic for me? Can, can you come and help me with the mic? Come, come, this mic. So, you need to hold it, eh, so I can read. Okay. Oh, this doesn't look good. This is, uh, this is uh, um, uh, cherry ripes. Just, just let me. Okay. We're, we're on screen in another venue, and I just want to look dignified. So, so, lie flat on the ground. Put your arms tight against your sides. So, you know, so you're lying like this. Your legs tight against each other. Tuck in your chin. Doesn't look good when you get older. That's number three. Number four, the snake will come and begin to nudge and climb about your body. Number five, do not panic. <laughs> number six, after the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet. It always swallows from the feet. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Do not panic. <laughs> but wait, this is wonderful. Number seven. The snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. But I love number eight. When the snake has reached your knees, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down and take out your knife. Did you come closer? With as little movement as possible, slip the knife between your leg and the snake's mouth. Now with one upward movement, rip open the snake's head and you have freed yourself from an anaconda.
That was number eight. Number nine, be sure you have your knife with you. Number 10, be sure your knife is sharp. And as a typical soldier manual, number 11, of course, if you get to number nine or 10 and find you've forgotten your knife or that it's blunt, the rest doesn't really matter. How many of you have ever felt that you're being swallowed alive? You can find a way to win. If you're making notes as we come to wrap up, you have four things you need to do. If you find yourself in this situation, we've just read it, you need the right strategy, a plan. This manual tells you to have a plan. Isn't that true? Then you need the right equipment. Can't find a way to win without the right equipment. We need sound systems, pulpits. We need people helping. We need, all, we need stages. We need all sorts of things to facilitate what we do. So a right plan, right equipment, right mindset. Find a way to win. Because without the mindset, you're done. And then the right confidence in God. We need faith. When we've got that, it's amazing what you can do. You know, it doesn't matter where you grow up. It doesn't matter what you face. There is always a way to win with God. Let me tell you two quick stories. I've got four minutes left. Is that okay? Has it helped you? I want to tell you about a man called Julius Jaeger. He won gold at the Olympics in China in 2013. He won silver at the 2016 Olympics uh, with a javelin. But he comes from the eastern part of Africa, Kenya, and uh, he comes from a very, very poor village, and uh, yet he came first in the All-Africa Games. So when they began to analyze his life, they said, what we want to discover, because we want to develop Africans, please would you tell us who your coach was? You know what he told them? I watched YouTube. And he took them to the list of YouTube videos that he actually watched and then copied. And he became this champion javelin thrower. In fact, he came sixth best, I'm sorry, fourth best javelin distance of all time. Why? Because he found a way to win. And sometimes things can lie dormant in our lives. We can give up on our dreams. We've got to realize that God's still got a lot to do with us, but it's up to us to find a way to win. There's a woman called Mrs. Langley, and it's such a funny story, but I'll end with this. She was uh, on the phone one day, 76 years old, and her throat was ticklish. And so while she was on the phone, she told her friend, just, just, just wait a minute. She went to this, you know, normally at the telephone tables in these older people's homes, there's a telephone and there's a mirror. She took a pen there and she, ah, 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 she's looking to see what's on her tongue. Choop, there goes the pen. She puts down the phone, she goes to her husband, she said, I swallowed a pen. He said, don't be a ridiculous woman. Because that's what you do when you get to her. Just, don't be ridiculous. Well, she left it and left it and left it. 25 years later, she's got a stomach ache. She tells her husband, there's something wrong with me. He says, well, you need to go get x-rayed. They x-ray her, and guess what is in her stomach? The pen. Can you imagine what she told her husband? I told you. <laughs> so you know what they do? They operate on her. This is a true story. They operate on her. They cut her stomach open. They take the pen out. And it's one of those felt-tip pens. They take the top of it, and it still writes. What is it that you have lost or swallowed or pulled back that is lying dormant that can write your destiny? Get it out. Find a way to win. Believe God for new stuff. Trust the Holy Ghost. When we win, God wins. Come on, stand up with me this morning.
Let's take a moment across both venues. Let's lift our hands to God and ask Him to speak to us. Can we do that? Right now, say, Lord, speak to us. Give us ideas. Give us strength. Fill us with resolve, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Give us ideas. Give us insight into those problems, those buildings, those finances, those staff challenges, those marriage problems. Speak to us. Help us to find a way to win and to overcome in all our churches. In Jesus' name, amen and amen, amen.